You may be seated. God bless you. We're glad you're here tonight. Amen. Thank you for being with us, and uh, God is good. And uh, we, I tell you, the search for truth has just been, it's been wonderful. And uh, it's just been good for me to renew myself and, and to, uh, to go back over the things that perhaps we've studied in times past, but to hear it again and to study it again. And hopefully there will be some that uh, will come in, and if they do, you ushers can make sure they have a, a study guide, a study sheet. We've had these out every week so that you can take these things home with you. There is absolutely no way that I can get through every scripture and everything that's, uh, that's happening on these study sheets. So take it home with you and uh, take your Bible down and start studying the Word of the Lord. The last lesson we studied was Lesson 5. And it started with the conquering of the land of promise, went all the way through the judges and the kings in Israel, how the kingdom was divided and then restored or a remnant restored. And then we talked about 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then we ended the last chart on dispensations of time. So remember these, the, the God's progressive plan progressive plan has been through different dispensations. And a dispensation is when God deals with us in a different way for a specific time. For instance, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, it was the dispensation of innocence. When they ate of the tree of the good knowledge of good and evil, it became the dispensation of conscience because they understood that they had sinned. And then came human government. And of course, Abraham brought the dispensation of promise. Moses brought the dispensation of law. And now we are in the dispensation of grace. And that's where we, we are. Now, we finish the Old Testament. And I want to just say this to you. There's no way that we finish the Old Testament. We just simply, we just simply hit the high places. But at least you understand how that the Bible is laid out and, and in what order it is laid out from the beginning and all the way through the Old Testament. So tonight we're going to start with the New Testament and we're going to be talking about some very good things. I, I'm, I'll be honest, when I started reading this today, I said, no way will I get through all this tonight. No way. But I'm going to try and if I don't, guess what? I'll be back next Wednesday. Hope you will. We're going we're gonna to get through it and uh, see what the Lord has to say to us. The final page of Old Testament study concludes with a deep yearning uh, and expectation for the Messiah. We, we read Malachi, and then there is literally 400 years of silence. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 400 years. Let me, let me tell you this, and I read this today. I thought it was very interesting. The Old Testament covered... 4,000 years in time, actually 3,600 years and then the 400 years of silence, so 4,000 years. The New Testament from Matthew all the way through Revelation only covers 100 years. So we're talking about 4,000 years. I was reading the other day and, and I, 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 my Bible every morning, I was doing my Bible reading and, and it would say, uh, so-and-so slew 70,000 or 250,000. And, and it, I, I'm thinking, all I can tell you is, is somebody was reproducing pretty fast because it was thousands upon thousands. They'd go to war and thousands would die. And I thought, how in the world can, but, but they did. And, uh, but it covered also 4,000 years of time or 3,600 of the Old Testament and 400 silent years. The Old Testament prophets voiced the expectation of one who would solve national problems and heal their wounds. They had prophecies about the coming Messiah. If you put the first, if you put the first chart up, uh, who's up there tonight? Brother Tommy, good old faithful Brother Tommy. Amen. Here's what John said in John 1.45. He said, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth. We have found him, John said. That's who was prophesied about, and he was talking about Jesus Christ. If you read John chapter 1, it starts like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. On down in verse 14, it said, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. 
and, and, and it also talks about him coming into his own and his own receiving him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. Well, in verse 45, John just lays it all out, and he said, we found him. We found who the prophets and Moses and the law wrote about and prophesied about. And uh, so now we're coming into the New Testament. Our, everybody say this with me, the New Covenant. A testament is a covenant. A testament is a testimony. You can't have a testament without having a testor. Got me? So this is the testimony, the new testimony, and the new covenant. You, I told you how to remember Old Testament. There's three letters in the word, in the word uh, old, and there is uh, uh, nine letters in the word testament. And so how many books of the Bible are there in the Old Testament? Somebody tell me. 39. Isn't that easy? Well, let me help you again. In the New Testament, there's three letters in the word new, and there's nine letters in the word testament, and three times nine, last time I checked, unless the new math has changed it, is 27. So there's 27 books of the New Testament. Let me break it down for you right quick, okay? Here's a chart that breaks down the New Testament. I think we ought to do this before we, before we go any further. If you'll see uh, where God covenant is opened up with the New Testament. The four Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, what are the four Gospels? The four Gospels are the history of the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The four Gospels are sometimes repetitive. They are sometimes telling the same story. One writer may have put a little different slant on it than the next writer. But they are all in the same. And here's the beautiful part. There is no contradictions. There are no contradictions in the Word of God. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John uh, was written as the four Gospels. Why four? His story is told from four viewpoints. He's presented as the king by Matthew, the servant by Mark, the son of man by Luke, and the son of God by John. Now, John was a little different. The first three Gospels were called the Synoptic Gospels, which uh, they were unlike John's writing. They were still the Gospels, but John, he stands alone as he presents a deeper portrait of who Jesus really is and, and gave us, he assures us that God has come to earth to live with men. It was John 1.14 that I just quoted where it said, that the Lord, that God was made flesh and dwelt among us. So we don't know in the, we understand the incarnation of God. The incarnation means that God the Spirit wrapped himself up in flesh and came as the Son of God and, and dwelt among men upon this earth. So the Gospels are very, very important, even though each writer viewed it and told it in a different way. John 21, 25, let me give you this scripture. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. That's what John said. He said there's so many things that we couldn't write down and so many things that Jesus done in three and a half years of ministry. But he said the, the, we, didn't, we didn't have we couldn't write them all down. The world could not contain the books that could be written about the miracles and the signs and the power and the wonder and the glory of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad you're serving that kind of God tonight? Amen. Amen. So let me, let me then talk about a book of history, the book of Acts. If you see the top yellow part there, it said one book of history, Acts of the Apostles. So you have the four Gospels, and then you have Acts of the Apostles. It is literally where the church began. It is the beginning of the church. Let me give you, some good, let me give you something good to think about. Some of you heard me preach. As a matter of fact, this may have been the first sermon I preached in 1989 when I came back to help Dad pastor this church. I think it was. But it, there's, there's a lot of books or several books of the Bible in the New Testament 
or epistles especially, that at the end it would say amen. Amen. Amen means so be it. Right? Do you know what book has no amen? The Acts of the Apostles. Because God never intended for the church to stop. And he never intended for revival to stop. In the Acts of the Apostles, you find the history of the church. You find out how to get into the church. You find the plan of salvation. You find that the Holy Ghost fell at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, in Samaria in Acts chapter 8, in Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, at Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. So this is the history of the church. Somebody wants to tell you to Go to John, First uh, John, and it'll tell you how to be saved. One writer said, "He that loveth or he that loveth God is born of God." Well, now we all love God, but that don't mean we have a born again experience. John is writing to the church, so that brings me to the next next section of the Bible. There's 14 epistles, and who wrote them? 14 Pauline epistles. Let me put it that way. There's more epistles than that. There's actually 21 epistles. You know, and we've, we've laughed about this a lot of times, you understand what an epistle is. One fellow said, is that the apostles' wives? No. An epistle is a letter written to the church. You can't say amen, just give me a good old nod. Amen. An epistle, I want you to get this because it will make a difference when you start reading the Bible. An epistle is a letter written to people who are already saved. Amen. It's it's letters written to the church. When you read 1 Corinthians, he's writing to the church at Corinth. When you read Galatians, he's writing to the church at Galatia. When you read Ephesians, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. So everybody understand that. There are four gospels. There's 21 epistles. There are 14 Pauline epistles. That means Paul wrote 14 books of the Bible. And then there's seven general epistles written by four more writers. And if you read those, you'll find out what the church ought to be and what the church ought to live by. Amen. You with me? So we've got gospels, history, the epistles, and then there's one book called the book of the apocalypse or the book of Revelation. It is the book of prophecy. It tells the forecoming. John was on the Isle of Patmos when he, he was a prisoner, as a matter of fact. And, uh, and the Lord began to reveal things to John. Now, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not a revelation preacher, okay, that, or teacher, should I say. I believe the book of Revelation. But you can get ten preachers up here, and they'll give you ten opinions of what revelation is. I'm not here to argue with you about, you know, there's big argument, always has been about is Jesus coming before the tribulation, during the tribulation, or after the tribulation? Well, let me just tell you this. I'll tell you where I'm at, and this is what G.E. Chance taught me. I'm a pre-tribulation rapture guy. I believe we're going to get out of here before the tribulation. But if not, I'm a mid-tribulation guy. And if not, I'm a post-tribulation guy. I don't know when he's coming, but I want to catch the first plane out of here. Amen? I want to go in the rapture. So I'm not going to argue with you about those things, but the book of Apocalypse, the book of Revelation, it comes from the word, matter of fact, Apocalypse, which means the unveiling. And John unveiled the future. Here's what I do know. At the end of all things, we win. At the end of all things, the church goes up to be with him. At the end of all things, we are the bride of Christ. We are at the marriage supper of the Lamb. At the end of all things, we, we, uh, we are people that have been called by his name and we're going to be raptured up to be with him at the second coming of the Lord. And I believe that John saw it clearly. And at the end of all things, I want to tell you the devil is bound and cast into his own hell and the saints of God are going to live forever in the presence of Jesus Christ in another world called heaven. Amen? So this is, the, this is the birth of the New Testament. This is how, this is, this is what the New Testament covers. All scripture is given by inspiration. There are no, there are no failures. There are no contradictions. 
Everything you see right here was written, the Bible said, by holy men of God as they were moved upon by the Holy Ghost. I believe the Word of God is true. Does anybody believe that? I do not believe that. Look, here's where I'm standing. Either all of it's true or none of it's true. You have to believe every word of it or you can't believe any of it. I choose to believe the Word of God. You cannot deal with people that don't believe the Word of God. If they don't deal, believe the Word of God, you are wasting your breath. But I choose to believe the Word of God. Amen. I believe it is God's anointed Word to us. So in we go to the New Testament. Well, guess who comes blazing out? A wild man. Next, next chart. A wild man with that had been in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey. A wild man that came out with, with an old leather girdle and a staff, and he had fire in his bones, and he preached and shook his world. He was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. His name was John the Baptist. I'll tell you how great John was. Jesus said, there is none greater. Jesus said that about, wouldn't you like for Jesus to say that about you? He said, there's none greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist came out of the wilderness, and Malachi had prophesied about this wild man that's going to come preaching repentance called John the Baptist. He said in Malachi chapter 3, the last book of the Old Testament, he said, behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And with the coming of John, God began to deal with men in another way. I want you to know the law was still in charge. And even through the four Gospels, watch me here, the law was still the law. They still operated by the law of Moses. Even in the four Gospels, they did. But the Lord brought John and he began to preach a different message the Bible said in, in Luke 16 and 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of heaven is preached, and every man presseth into it. One scripture said, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Amen. So John the Baptist was a unique character. I mean, he made people mad. He must have been something like me. But he, no, I'm just picking, I wish I was a John the Baptist. But, but the facts are he came out preaching uh, things that, that had never been preached before. Let me tell you, first of all, about John's miraculous birth. Let me tell you how he got here. The angel, Gabriel, the angel, stood by an aged priest called Zacharias. And while he was ministering in the temple, he announced that a son was going to be born to his wife, who was Elizabeth. Now, this child, the Lord told, told Zechariah, was to be named John. And, and if you've never studied the story of Zacharias, then you, you, you need to understand that all of a sudden he couldn't talk. He went dumb. And... He was dumb until the baby got here. And somebody said, what's, we're going to name the baby. And he said, his name shall be called John. Amen. Six months later, after Elizabeth became a child, the same angel showed up to the cousin of Elizabeth. And her name was Mary, who was to become with child, miraculously become because she had known no man. That's what the Bible said. If you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, then you have to believe that the Spirit of God overshadowed Mary and she conceived and brought forth a child. Now, I, I, I got to tell you that that there, there, was, uh, there was some things that happened during that time. And Mary went to see Elizabeth, and, and uh, suddenly 
Elizabeth felt the child leap in her womb. Let me tell you something else about this John. The Bible said he, he was with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. He didn't have to wait to the day of Pentecost. He's the only one that I know of that was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. He was a God-sent man that was to prepare the way of the Lord. Everybody said amen. So John's early years, his early years were spent in isolation. He spent a lot of time by himself. He had, he, he, having been uh, dedicated to the God as a Nazarite, John's uncut hair waved in the wind, and, and the food he ate was, uh, was, was different. Locusts, uh, one writer said, was like salted and eaten with butter or wild honey, resembled parched corn or tasted like shrimp. I can handle that. But he was a rough-looking character when he showed up. And at the age of 30, the legal age, for admission to the temple service. John came blazing out of a wilderness where he had been solitary with God in a desert and he stepped out of isolation and began to preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. John the Baptist, he started telling them to repent and he said, I baptize you with water unto repentance. But there cometh one after me that is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Anybody ever read that? He said his shoelaces, I'm not worthy to unlatch. I, I'm not worthy to be in the same room with him. In other words, I'm not worthy to be even preaching this message. But he said, I, I'm telling you that I, I'm here to baptize you. Well, now, here, they, they lined up on the banks of the Jordan. Here they come, and they, 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 they begin to baptize people. And John would say them, to them, I baptize you into repentance. I baptize you into repentance. If you don't believe what he said, you go read Acts chapter 19. I'm going to get on that later, but I'm going to show you why I know that John just said, because Paul said, John said, I baptize you into repentance. Does that make sense? Acts chapter 19 is where Paul said that. So, so here comes John, and he starts preaching repentance, and he starts teaching repentance. He proclaimed, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you got to prepare yourself. you got to repent of your sins. you got to show firm belief in God. He is the first man to come preaching that message. The entire system of Judaism was coming to a close, and the law of Moses was, if I could use this terminology, about to be over with. Jesus himself said when he came on the scene, I did not come to destroy the law, but he said I came to fulfill it. In other words, what you've heard in the Old Testament was, was uh, the prophecies of the old and the teaching of the old is bringing us to the new covenant or the new way. And even the old covenant sign of circumcision was going to be done away with. And the new covenant sign of baptism in water was about to be given to his world. I'm so glad, I'm so glad that a wild preacher named John the Baptist came preaching repentance and preparing the way for Jesus Christ. Everybody said amen. So the multitudes went to hear him, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about. It's what Matthew 3 said. Everybody was coming out to hear John. Have you heard about that preacher? Man, he's wild. That pre he's, he's down in the Jordan baptizing people. He's baptizing them. John's unique ministry was to, he was, was to baptize or immerse. He, he put them down in water. Wasn't none of this dipping or sprinkling. Or, he baptized them. He put them under. John's baptism was for the remission of sin. John's baptism was to remit sin or to dismiss or release or forgive. It was like saying, I want all the world to know that I have repented of my sins and turned to God and I'm depending upon him to forgive me. He, he's, I've already quoted him. It's found in Luke 3.16. He said, I indeed baptize you with water. 
but one mightier than thy cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Several years later, you find Paul rebaptizing John's convert. Remember this. You find Paul rebaptizing some of John's converts that were believers because he wanted them baptized more than just unto repentance. He said, You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. John's baptism was just a temporary rite, R I T E, rite, preparing believers to enter into the kingdom of God. Next chart. So what is repentance? Let's talk about that for just a little bit. It's a decision to turn from actions that lead to death. How many of you understand the Bible said, sin when it is finished bringeth forth, huh? Everybody say death. Sin when it is finished. You can read about, about repentance all through the New Testament. To the sinner, God asked this in Ezekiel 18.23, Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? Saith the Lord God, and not that he should live, or not that he should return from his way and live. I don't want men to die lost, is what the Lord said. I don't want people to keep sinning because they're going to die lost. He said, do I have pleasure in that? Well, let me answer that for you. The New Testament said that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen? So that's what I Why should anyone choose wickedness or death when they can choose to repent and to live? Why do you want to leave sin in your life? The original Greek word for repentance is this, to change one's mind. You change the inward man and you change the outward. You change your mind by the inward, you change your direction. So here's what repentance is. If you're a sinner and you're walking this way, when you repent, you start walking this way. You change directions. You turn away from sin, and you turn to God. Everybody say amen. So that is what happens when you repent. Acts 26, verse 18 and verse 20 said, to open their eyes and to turn them from, the, from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And then it goes on to say in verse 20, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Repentance is much more than just an emotional display of tears or weeping or groaning before God. It is literally a change of mind and a change of direction. Amen? You can't repent and go back out and do the same things. God's not pleased with that. That's why when he got, when he got through with the, with the woman that was in adultery, he said, neither do I condemn thee. What else did he say? Go and sin no more. Don't go do it again. Just go and sin no more. Don't sin anymore. Amen. A beautiful uh, story or, or example of repentance is found in the story of the prodigal son. I promise you everybody in this room probably knows about the prodigal son. But let me just tell you a little bit about it. A young man, can I just put it in our own language, got too big for his britches, got to partying, went to his daddy and said, I want my part of the inheritance, and his daddy gave it to him. He went to a foreign land. He had friends. He had money. He had parties. He was living it up. The Bible said it was riotous living. I've seen a little of that. Not in my life, but I've seen folks live riotously. And, 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 and all of a sudden, the money ran out. And when the money ran out, guess what? The friends were gone. The party was over. Amen? He was starving to death. So he went 
to a citizen of the country, and he joined himself. He got a job. He wasn't standing out in the marketplace. He was slopping hogs. And if you ain't never slopped hogs, if you never been around while they did slop hogs, I used to work at the sale barn when I was a teenager, and I dreaded even walking by where the hogs were. Amen? I've been in cattle, but dear me, you walk by where the hogs were, you better grab your nose or hold your breath or something. It was a woo. The Bible said he was, he was slopping the hogs, and, and he got so hungry that he ran his hand down in the slop. Now, do you know what slop is? That's everything conglomerated, and it, it's just slop. It's whatever else everybody else don't want. Amen? And he fain, the Bible said, would have filled his belly. He was about to take a bite. But the Bible says this. I love this story. And when he came to himself, when he came to himself, he said, you know what? My father's servants don't have to live like this. I'm going home. You talk about a repentant man. He shook the slop off his hand. Boy, I'm running a good Sunday sermon right here. He shook the slop off his hand. He got up from that hog pen and he headed back to daddy's. You know what he had? A repentant heart. He repented and his dad fell upon his shoulder and began to weep and told his servants, kill the fatted calf, bring a ring and put it on his finger, bring the clothes and put them on him. I want him to look like, feel like, know he's loved. Let me tell you about repentance. I don't care where you've been and what you've done, God loves you. I don't care how far in the hog pen you've been, he cares about you. He'll meet you on the road home and he'll help you when you get there to, to, and forgive you for the things you You've done. Does anybody believe that? So what is repentance? Repentance crumbles the barrier that separates a man from God. It crumbles it. The altar represents three things. Death, blood, and covenant. The altar represents three things. We die with him in repentance. When you come to God and you say, I'm sorry, I don't want to live the way I've been living. You have to crucify the old man at the altar of repentance. We die with him on the altar. Remember the Old Testament? What's the first altar men went by? Surely you learned something. The brazen altar. The altar of sacrifice. You have to go by the brazen altar. You, and, and when you get to the altar, that's where the blood is applied to your life. When you call upon the Lord and confess your sins, the blood that comes cleansing from, from Jesus Christ, it comes through you, hallelujah. I, I'll tell you, I like what I'm talking about here tonight. But when you get to the altar, that's why when folks get up, they're happy. When folks get up, they got a smile. I don't, I, if, I, if people come down and really pray, I've never seen anybody get up mad. I've never seen anybody get up and walk off and say, well, you know. They turn around and grab somebody and hug them. Some of them even hug their wife or their husband. What a miracle. Amen. You can be fussing and fighting on the way to church, but when you get up the altar, the blood cleanses us. So the altar stands for three things. At the altar is where we're crucified in death. At the altar is where the blood is the blood cleanses us. And at the altar is the covenant where we promise to love God and we promise to serve and to obey him. And when you get up from the altar and have truly repented, let me tell you what repentance does. Listen to me. Repentance is not the end of salvation. It's, it's only the beginning of salvation. But when a man, if you go to the book of, of uh, Acts in the chapter. The Bible said that Samaria had repented and there's a scripture there that says there was great joy in the city. Great joy. You feel better when you repent. You know why? You've just got all the trash out. You just got all the dirt out. 
You just got all the heaviness off of you. When you come to the Lord and lay it at his feet and said, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to be this way. I I, I don't want to walk another day this way. Let me tell you what he does. He comes with a cleansing agent of the soul that can wash you and cleanse you and make you whole. And not only make you whole, it'll make you happy. And when you get up, you'll feel light as a bird. You'll feel like you could fly because there's power in repentance. And that's what John came preaching. Paul said it this way, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him and that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin anymore. It's a new day when you go to the altar and repent. Let me tell you how important repentance is to God. You ready? The Bible said when one sinner, how many people's in this world now? Seven billion, eight billion? Huh? Huh? 8.3 8.3 billion. Who said that? Dennis, where have you been doing? Reading Google? 8.3 billion people. But let me tell you, Gage, what gets God's attention. He said, when all, when one sinner repents, one out of 8.3 billion, all of heaven rejoices. Wow. The angels shout about it. God is happy with it. All of heaven is looking over the balcony saying, look, another one has repented and the blood has washed them. That's what John came preaching. Repentance. When we leave those things at the feet of the Lord. Paul said, the Amplified Version and Luke wrote, Rise and be baptized, call it upon his name, and wash away your sins. Repentance leads to baptism. You can't go to God and say, if I've sinned, because you have sinned. Get that little pride deal off of you right now. Don't kneel and say, oh, God, if I've done anything wrong, you've done things wrong. Get that, get that off of you. You're not going to get to the You know, he that humbleth himself. At the mighty hand of God. You know what God will do? He will exalt him. He, he, if, you, if you humble yourself before God, you'll be exalted. If you come with pride before God, you're not going to be. The Bible said God's going to resist you. So when you come to repent, the Bible said in 1 John 1 and 9, John talking to the church, if we confess our sin, everybody say this with me, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Say it with me. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does anybody believe that? I tell people all the time, we have trouble forgiving people. And we really have trouble forgiving ourselves. But God is the fastest forgiver. When you come to God and say, I'm sorry, he says, okay, I forgive you. And here's what God doesn't do. Watch this. He doesn't hold that over your head. He doesn't come back and and when you make another mistake, he don't say, David, now you messed up in 1993, so I'm going to bring that. That's not God. God forgives you, and has the unique ability to forget it. You can't, but God can. And he will cast your sins away, and he's not going to bring them back and charge you with them again. True forgiveness is when it's truly gone, and God does not bring it back. There's so many scriptures. There's so many scriptures that I could read to you about repentance and about what God does for us when we truly repent. But here's what else happens. Not only do you go to the altar, but you see that lady in the green right there, that word right under? I wish my daddy was here tonight. What a testimony he would have for you. I remember him telling me, I I may not get it perfectly right, but mom can straighten me out when this is over. She usually does. 
I'm just picking on her. But here, here's what happened. My dad was seeking the Holy Ghost. And every time he went to the altar, he'd pray to a certain point and a pocket knife would come up that he had stole. And every time he'd get to a certain place, he couldn't get past that. So he went and he made it right. And he immediately received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Sometimes, Zacchaeus, you have to make restitution. When the Lord went to Zacchaeus' house and the Lord got a hold of Zacchaeus, he said, whew, Lord, anybody I've stole from, I'm going to repay it fourfold. I'm going to give it back with interest. And if any of y'all took any money from me, I'm expecting it with interest. That's what the Holy Ghost will do. That's what God will do when he gets older. I'm just saying this because, because sometimes we think, oh, well, it's no matter. That's in the past. But sometimes you have to make restitution. You got to get it right to show God you got it right. Does anybody believe that? Hmm. Here's why Paul stressed the importance of it, because you've got to have a clear conscience. Your conscience is God-given, and you've got to have a clear conscience void of offense. And here's what Acts 24, 16 said, and herein do I exercise myself to have, a, have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. If I'm going to live for God and live right and repent of my sins, sometime I may have to go make some things right to get it right with God. Amen? If you bring your gift to the altar, I'm not going here for a long time because I'll, I'll get, uh, there's no way I'm going to finish tonight. We'll catch the rest of it next week. But if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother have all against you, leave your gift at the altar. I'm, I'm telling you what the Bible said. And go be reconciled unto your brother. You can't go to heaven without forgiving people. We'll just let that sink in. You can't go. Every time you come to pray, if you hate your brother, you, you your ceilings are gonna your prayers are gonna bounce off this ceiling. Amen. Amen. So you can't harbor things in your heart. You can't hate people. You got to make restitution. You got to forsake sin. Everybody say forsake sin. We prove to God our intentions in w when we repent by if we forsake the things that we have done. We forsake them. Now, look, I'm not preaching to you that once you've repented of something, uh, that will never come back and you will never fail again. Look, I failed in the same area more than one time. Could I get a witness here tonight? I've failed in some areas more than one time. I'm just telling you we're not p perfect and we're human. And here's what happens. If we ever quit praying, if we ever let our guard down, if we ever get placed to the devil, he comes right for the same weakness you had. That's why when the, when, the, when the devil was cast out of a man, he went and sought a place to stay and couldn't find a place to stay. And when he came back to the man, the Bible said that it was dry. He found a dry place, and he brought with him seven more devils. Hello. Right back into the same person. So I'm just teaching to you tonight that you're not perfect. You will make mistakes. But I will tell you this. The Bible said in Proverbs 28, verse 31, or excuse me, 13, you've got to remember the Scripture. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. That don't mean you've got to tell me everything. This is not a confession booth. This is not a church where you got to go pay a preacher and confess your sins. I hear enough confessions without a confession booth. I don't. I don't want to know no more. I, somebody, somebody said, "Did you?" I said, "I don't want to know." I, 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 look, hallelujah. You don't have to confess it to me. Go confess it to God. Go talk to God in a closet of prayer. Go get it under the blood of Jesus. That's what it's all about. And, and, and by confessing and repenting and asking God to forgive you in the name of the Lord Jesus, you, you are preparing yourself for baptism. Here, here's a scripture that, 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 that uh, 
the, the Bible talks about sacrilege, committing sacrilege. Let me tell you that I believe sacrilege can be, can be going to the waters of baptism without repenting. you got to get it right. You, you can't go to the waters, or you don't need to go to the waters of baptism until you've repented of your sins. Every time we have a baptismal service here, and we'll have another one, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to preach to you that you've got to repent of your sins because that's the prerequisite of baptism. Re- repentance is when God forgives you. Baptism in water is the washing away of your sins. It's the Bible said baptism is for the remission or the remitting of your sins. Does anybody believe that? Amen. So you're preparing yourself for baptism. To climax repentance, we prepare for baptism, and that's a ceremonial act. Watch this. The Bible said in Acts 10, 48, that Peter commanded them. Commanded. He didn't say, hey, y'all want to be baptized? He didn't say, everybody here that wants to be baptized, come forward. Mm -mm. You know what he did it? At Cornelius' house, he commanded. Everybody say he commanded. Do you know what a command is? Anybody here have been in the Army, Navy, Marines, got a wife? Now I got to go home and deal with what I said. I'm just playing. But, but really, commands is not suggestions. Command is not invitations. A command is that you do this. And Peter commanded them to be baptized. Once the old man's been put to death at the altar, it's the commandment of God to go to the waters of baptism. Baptism is not an option. Baptism is a necessity. The way I always say it is this way. And I'll just, you know, I'm I'm in no hurry because I'm not going to finish anyway. So here's what I normally tell people. When you go to buy a new truck, tires are not an option. Steering wheel's not an option. Motor's not an option. Brakes are not an option. Frame is not an option. Here's what options are. All the gadgets, the bales and the whistles. You know, like intermittent windshield wipers. Now they got, I, I got to tell you all this. I didn't even know I had it. I was driving down the interstate a few, a few weeks ago in my truck, and I pushed on. They got, you know, we got this thing now that makes you stay in the lane. It won't get out of the lane, you know. What, I forgot what they call it. Adaptive whatever. And I had that on, so if I went to the right or the left, you know, it shakes and makes me mad and all that stuff. And I'm riding along, and I punch on the cruise control at the same time, and a big old thing comes on my screen that says hands-free. I said, you've got to be kidding me. This is a true story. I drove for miles. I can literally get on this interstate and drive to Jackson, Mississippi, and never touch a brake or the gas or my steering wheel. That's an option. I'm telling you the truth. I can't wait till they come out with cars that fly. That's I'm gonna be a I'm, I'm gonna bite on that one, Jay. I'm telling you right now. But here's the deal. That's options. Baptism is not an option. It's like wheels, or steering wheel, or seats. It's, it's not an option. I hear people say, well, you don't have to be baptized. Yes, you do. Doth baptism now save us? Matthew 16 said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You got to be baptized. Somebody say amen. So the highest order of repentance is not just weeping over your past sins and confessing. It's, it's, it's getting ready for baptism. Now, how do I know that baptism is important? I'll tell you how. I know, because Jesus got baptized. Jesus Christ was sinless. He never committed a sin. He was sinless, but yet he got baptized. Now, and I'm going to talk about this a good bit later, but I know that baptism 
is important. It's the first step. And after that comes the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. Let me, let me grab one of the chart. I got eight minutes. I believe I can do that. So here's what happened. Six months after the announcement of John's birth, here comes Gabriel to Mary and, uh, and delivers the same message to Mary that she's going to have a child and, and that his name's going to be called Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Uh, we just not long ago went through the Christmas season. We, we talk about that. Uh, Elizabeth greeted Mary as when she saw her as the mother of the Lord. And that salutation fully confirmed the angel's words because uh, what was born in Mary and what was conceived in Mary was to be the Son of God and the Son of Man. And Elizabeth rejoiced as she rejoiced. She felt the baby leap in her womb. And then here comes Joseph. He's struggling with it. This is Mary's Mary's husband-to-be, and the Lord comes to Joseph in a dream, and he says to him, don't worry, that which is in Mary is conceived of the Holy Ghost. She, she's not known anybody else. You're safe. Joseph was instructed to continue his marriage plans and to marry uh, Mary and, and to accept that baby, Jesus, her child. I, I'm hurrying through this. Here's, here's, here it all is, the, the hope of the world. Old Testament prophecy prophecies talked about the coming of the Lord. Micah chapter 5 even told us that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And here's the birth of Christ. Here's the birth of Christ. I'm going to hurry through this because, and I may, I may go two minutes over, but I, I want you to get what I'm about to say. The whole life of Jesus Christ, from the time of his birth, now he was, he was circumcised as a child on the eighth day. He was a Jew. He was of the house of David. And then you don't hear anything about Jesus in his boyhood. Nothing. You don't hear nothing. Bible's silent. But at the age of 12, his, his mother and Joseph had, had went to the city, and now they're on their way home, and they look around. Jesus is not with them. Where's Jesus? And so they go back, and the Scripture said they literally... They literally sought for him three days, and when they found him, he was in the temple conversing with the learned men. And when they, when they, you know, I'm sure he was a boy, and I'm sure Joseph said, come on, Jesus, where have you been? He said to them, do you not know that I have to be about my father's business? So at the age of 12, Jesus knew that he was not a normal boy. He knew that there was something down the road for him. He understood that. So, and then you, 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 you follow him, and at the age of 30, at the age of 30, so, so John is six months older than Jesus, and John's been preaching the coming of the Lord, and he's got all these converts coming to the Jordan, you see there, and so Jesus goes down to be baptized of John, and John suddenly realizes who he is, and he says this, behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. He recognized who Jesus was and what he was there for. So the baptism of Christ. So there's a lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of uh, uh, questions and a lot of explanations. Let me, let me just give you some things to think about. Why was Jesus baptized? Has anybody ever asked you that? Well, if he wasn't a sinner, why was he baptized? I heard one, I heard one true answer. To fulfill all righteousness. Let me give you some that you might want to remember and maybe on your seat, I think it is. Number one, he was a perfect example for us. Amen? Deliberately, Jesus established a pattern which he intended for all believing disciples to follow. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 22, he said he was leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. So, so he was a perfect example. Number two, he was part of the human race. And, and Christ was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. Although he knew no sin, baptism was not for deity but for mankind. He was human flesh. Therefore, we know that Jesus was man as well as God, and so he went to the waters of baptism. Number three, he was our high priest. The high priest was washed and anointed prior to serving. Old Testament, which we study, the priest had to go by the brazen altar, by the brazen laver, the altar, 
of sacrifice, the laver, the place of washing, before he could offer sacrifice. At Jesus' baptism, he was washed and anointed with the Holy Spirit of God. He was the spotless lamb of God. Sacrificial lambs, sacrificial lambs were carefully inspected for blemishes or defects before being presented to the priest by the people. To, the, to be the spotless lamb of God, Jesus must also be washed, prepared, scrutinized, accepted, and sacrificed by his Father. So that was why he went. He was the spotless Lamb of God. He submitted to the initiating rite of the new covenant. We believe that New Testament circumcision is of the covenant of baptism. At birth, Jesus was circumcised. He, the, he took the initiating rite of the Abrahamic covenant of the Old Testament. And when he assumed public leadership, Christ introduced the initiating ordinance of the new covenant, and that is the inner circumcision of the heart through water baptism. After fulfilling all, here it is, all righteousness under the old covenant, Jesus gave his own body and blood to institute the new covenant. That's, you can find that in Isaiah chapter 42. So after being immersed in water, guess what happened? There was a voice that came out of heaven. And a dove ascended out of heaven. And the voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It was, it was sanctioned by God. And, and the heavens opened, and the Spirit of God, the Bible said, descended upon Jesus like a dove. The voice was not another person. The voice was God, the Spirit that spoke. The dove was symbolic of the Holy Ghost. And what Jesus did in the Jordan was sanctioned by the Almighty God, his Father. Hallelujah. Immediately after... His baptism, does anybody know what happened? He went on a 40-day fast, and he was tempted three times. When the devil sat idly by and was waiting for his precise moment to get Jesus to fall. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take a long time here, but the first thing that, that Satan did, he appealed to his appetite of hunger. And he said, if thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made of bread. But Jesus just said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And since Jesus would not bow to that, he comes with a, a second suggestion. The devil does. He meets Jesus and he starts tempting him. And he said, he said to him, then he, he, he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and this is what he asked, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give angels charge concerning thee. In other words, your angels will catch you. Jesus again said this, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Amen. And then the most difficult temptation perhaps was the last one. When he said the pinnacle of the temple was not high enough and Jesus must be taken to lofty, to a lofty mountain for a broader view. And here's what the devil said. All the kingdoms of the world that were viewed there, he said, all these things I will give thee if thou will fall down and worship me. Are you kidding me, devil? You don't own nothing. You're just the prince of the power of the air, but he is the king of glory. And the earth is his footstool and heaven is his throne. You can't give him anything. But the Lord didn't even recognize him. He said, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. I want to tell you on this Wednesday night, it's 8.01, I'm winding up. But if you want to defeat the devil, use the word of God. 
If you wanted to tell, send the devil running, use the word of God. The word of God will defend you against anything the devil comes after you with. This is, oh, I wish I had time tonight. This is why you got to read it. This is why you got to study it. This is why you got to get into it. David said, thy word, O Lord, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against it. And you can't say it is written if you don't know what is written. Does that make sense? Let me hurry. Last thing he did, or the next thing he did, was choose his disciples. I'm not going into this, but Jesus took a year and a half to complete his choice of disciples. He had a little inner circle. He had a little inner circle. Peter, James, and John was his little inner circle. But he chose Matthew and Philip and Bartholomew, and, and he chose all these, these people. But listen to me right now. Listen to me. The work of Jesus on this earth all took place in three and a half years, every miracle, every sign, every wonder, every teaching that he did. From, from, from birth, from the time he was circumcised on the eighth day until, until the tw 12 years old where he was found in the temple, and then you don't hear of Jesus again from 12 years old to 30. And then all of a sudden, here he comes. He's baptized in the Jordan. He's tempted of the enemy. He chooses his disciples. And we're going to go into the teaching concepts of Jesus next week. Shall we stand?